Welcome to the Wounded Healers podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Amy. And I'm Janessa. We are two women who were diagnosed with autoimmune diseases in our early 20s. We were lucky enough to find each other and find community and it's something that we want to bring to anyone else who may be in a similar place. Amy, I found you on Instagram originally. Um, We both had a similar person we were following and interacting with, which is Erica, um, who's an amazing individual. And I remember seeing your Instagram and just thinking like, how in the heck is someone so chic, so on point while going through the same type of autoimmune disease I have? Because man, it just like really gave me hope for my future of how I could be. (laughs) So I always felt super inspired by seeing your posts on Rheumatoid Girls. Um, Yeah, that's how I came to find you. Thank you. That is super kind of you to say. And that is exactly what I wanted Rheumatoid Girls to be about. So I was young when I got diagnosed. I was 24 and I was always interested in style and all of that sort of stuff and it was really something for me to get my head around having a disease which had an impact on the way I look and as well as like changing the way that I felt and when I was originally kind of on Instagram looking at rheumatoid arthritis all I could find were things that I felt didn't represent me and didn't represent my interests or all of that sort of thing so yeah, that's how Rheumatoid Girls was born. I wanted to create that space within Instagram. So yeah, it means a lot to me that you said that and you felt that way when you saw it because that's exactly, I just wanted it to serve as inspiration that you can still be fab as well as being chronically ill. So I was also incredibly excited to meet you in real life recently when I went over to California for a retreat. Um, So we'd obviously done our Instagram live before and had a really great time. I loved your vibe and yeah, meeting you in person with all those other amazing women. And I've never felt so at home and my soul so peaceful. So yeah, it was a big honor to meet you and I love everything that you stand for as well. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. So I want to set the scene a little bit, I think, because Before RA, I was a broadly healthy person, not necessarily my habits, um, but like my childhood wasn't plagued with illnesses. Like I I wasn't used to being ill or restricted in any way, like literally didn't even have sensitive skin. Like I never had anything kind of get in the way of my life and my health before. Um, So yeah, I think that's, I don't know why I wanted to bring that up, but I just think it it kind of had an impact in the way that I processed having my disease and being diagnosed and having my freedoms kind of taken away from me it was something that I really wasn't used to at all and but yeah funnily enough arthritis first happened to me on a date (laughs) typically (laughs) of all the places for it to start yeah um so yeah I was out bowling with a guy and the base of my thumb went completely red and like searing with pain we obviously know the pain now you know the pain um but at the time I was like what on earth is going on like 
I hadn't even experienced pain like that when I'd seriously injured myself before, you know, let alone just like bowling and out of nowhere, my thumb just swelled and went red. It was really strange. My poor date was just like, um, are you, I don't know what to do. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of happened, but we went home. I, I iced it in the end and just thought like nothing of it because why do you, why do you, you don't think of anything when you're 24. I was 24 at the time. So all of those things just kind of brush on past you, don't they? Um, but yeah, so over the following weeks and months, I realized that it was a recurring issue and definitely not just in my thumb. So most of my fingers began swelling up to the point where I like couldn't bend them. Um, my shoulders started to really burn like when I lifted them up and like at times I would lose mobility in them um and my legs by the end of the day would be so sore that I would literally have to like crawl up the stairs it's really interesting when I think back on it because I can remember so vividly like the pain I had pain in the back of my knees which meant that I like couldn't lift my leg up and it's just, it's so interesting to think back and just remember so clearly those like specific things that like kind of make an imprint on your heart at the time. Um, so yeah, so I was kind of experiencing those things. And I, I guess I started to like admit to myself that something was quite seriously wrong with me. Um, so yeah, it was actually the day before my birthday um, on a Saturday, my mum finally insisted that I had to go to hospital because like this wasn't normal. And I think she didn't want to see me be in pain anymore and not address it. So she completely did the right thing and getting me to go. I obviously had no interest in being in hospital, you know, looking for answers that I didn't want. Um, but yeah, I went in and I was examined and the doctor came up with three possible diagnoses or diagnoses. Um, so it, he said it could have been like a reactivated Epstein-Barr. So that's like mononucleosis. And I think some of the symptoms that you get with that are comparable to RA. And he said it might have been Lyme disease uh, or he said it could have been rheumatoid arthritis. But he was really reassuring that it was unlikely to be RA because obviously I'm young as if now we know that makes absolutely no difference but he's like you're so young you won't have RA um oh no yeah <laughs> I was like even now you're still saying that I think we can all accept that young people do get RA um yeah and he was also pretty insistent that I shouldn't be worried that it would permanently affect my life um <laughs> oh my gosh bless him bless him he was trying to comfort me I guess um but yeah so he did some obviously some blood tests and I went actually went out that night just popped loads of popped loads of ibuprofen and went out with my friends to celebrate my birthday and um interestingly like looking back me and my friends were even making jokes about it which is it's so bizarre. Like I just had such a casual energy then, which I I don't think I have anymore because of how this illness has like impacted my life. Like the thought that that I would discuss being ill with my friends and make a joke about it is so it's so strange. Um, but yeah, 
Um, and, and another thing that I think back, I look back at pictures of this night and you can tell I just don't look like myself. Like you can, you know, you can really see the pain in someone's face. Like, or I, when I look back at pictures of myself, I can really see like the pain in my own face. And that's really evident, like on the pictures of this night, I almost look like a, like a doll or a mannequin. It's like, they're like dead behind the eyes. It's really interesting to see. I feel like this was like, this was a start of a couple of years of me looking like that and feeling like that. So yeah, this whole weekend, this birthday, this night, very pivotal in my memory. Um, so yeah, things got pretty serious a month later when my GP, which is like in the UK, that's just like your main doctor that you talk to all the time. Um, I was at a spa, a really famous spa in the UK called Champneys. And I think of all the places to get a, a diagnosis, literally a toilet cubicle in Champneys has to be, has to be up there with like one of the, one of the rarest. Um, but yeah, so she said um, that my blood test had shown rheumatoid factor. My CCP was positive. My CRP was elevated and my ESR was as well so like literally every every single every single thing on the blood work that can indicate you have an inflammatory disease and that that inflammatory disease is RA was there for me it was just it was there was almost no and I, I feel lucky for this now like hearing other people's um you know, the trials and tribulations that they go through to get diagnosed and how people are left for months or even years without answers. The fact that they literally just like took two vials of blood from my arm and they were like, you definitely have this so we can get you treated straight away. That really is like a blessing when I think about it. That is amazing. I know. Yeah, I, I've like heard from a lot of people that that is not the case mm -hmm. <laughs> all the time so I'm like amazed well wow. there's because the fact that there's even so there's like seronegative and seropositive RA right so there's there's I don't know what the percentage is of people that have each but there are people that have this disease that never have rheumatoid factor in their blood which is which blows my mind um yeah that's got to be another like layer of mm. making this disease difficult or any disease difficult is like when there's even less that you can visually see about it yeah exactly completely yeah um so yeah after that I, that phone call I hung up still in the toilet cubicle um and I remember I just I just started to cry because that yeah I, I knew that everything was going to be forever changed then I knew from that conversation that the original doctor had had when he was like it's not going to be RA it's not going to impact you permanently. I was like, oh, so it is RA. Oh, so it will impact me permanently. And yeah, so really bizarre. And obviously anyone that's listening to this that's been diagnosed will know that it kind of still just doesn't feel real either. It took me a long, long time for any of this to kind of sink in and for this to feel like my real life in any way. Um. So yeah, as is the way with the NHS in England, the referral to the consultant was months away. Um, and I I just couldn't wait that long. I every day was like torture. Like, you know, my my body cried to me with every 
movement. Like, like I remember being in the bath and having to like gasp as I tried to push myself out of the bath and just like, like basically crying in pain to get out of the bath. Like some really harrow- harrowing memories, I would say really of this time and, and how much pain I was living in. Um, but interestingly for me, and you're, you will hear me talk about how in a way privileged I've been in, in so many ways throughout my whole diagnosis, because I, I basically didn't have any swelling in my joints and I still don't now. Like I get swelling on my tendons. So like all of my fingers will swell, but rarely do my individual joints swell. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting I don't know if anyone else out there hit me up on rheumatoid girls if you experience the same because I'm starting to think there's something like a bit wrong with me um but yeah so that was a blessing I guess in a way that I didn't have like super big joints full of fluid and stuff like that I was just definitely had the kind of invisible illness thing um so yeah I was conscious that the longer this went on and I didn't have any treatment I was risking doing permanent damage to my body and again I'm very lucky that my parents could afford um for me to have some private treatment which I get again I know is something that a lot of people do not have so I'm I'm very conscious of that I was very lucky um so yeah we booked in for me to have a private appointment but interestingly kind of at the same time as I was in this kind of extreme pain and all of this was going on, I'd started to look at more holistic ways to kind of help myself out, thinking that the appointment was going to be like some time away. So I really got into food at this point. Um, So I don't know if you're familiar with Jessica Seppel. Have you heard of her? No, I haven't heard of her yet. Who is she? So she um, is a nutritionist. She's actually created like vitamins now. Obviously, this was like five years ago. So she was a like a nutritionist chef at the time. Um, so I found her and really resonated with everything that she did. So at the time, I cut out gluten and dairy. And I did find that that did help alleviate my symptoms somewhat. Um, so by the time I was at the appointment with the consultant... I was actually in really good shape like I didn't have I obviously I didn't have swelling because I hadn't really experienced that yet and my pain had decreased quite a lot I think because of the anti-inflammatory changes that I'd made to my diet um so yeah that was all um pretty sweet he was lovely he he is lovely my um rheumatologist so he said that he'd put me on his NHS so like his free list because I didn't need treatment at that point but he thought because of my blood work it was really likely that I would need treatment he was basically like you can't have blood like that and not have RA so (laughs) I'll probably be seeing you again (laughs) and he was right um but just a funny like a funny little aside to this um he said that I might have had something called reactive arthritis which I don't know if you've heard of this or looked into no, it. It can be where you like temporarily temporarily develop arthritis as a result of an infection. Um, and he he mentioned um, that you can get it from STIs, or you guys would call it 
STDs in America. So I actually, I went, I actually went to a clinic thinking that poor guy that I was on the bowling date with had a, had given, oh no. had given me chlamydia. So, oh. He hadn't though, he hadn't though. Sorry, Steve. Okay. Not that you're listening. Um, oh, Steve. <laughs> um so yeah that's kind of funny but yeah I'd lasted another three months um before I had to go back and see my rheumatologist because it came back with a big old bang um like and this is the time where I was crying literally every morning just totally overwhelmed with how I was going to get through the day in front of me honestly like I I cannot I I won't say this casually like I what am I trying to say like I don't take it lightly when I say that I like cannot imagine an existence worse than like what my life was like at this time and I I wouldn't wish it upon anyone like it was awful and I, I pray that I, I never feel the way that I did then again um But yeah, obviously, I was very lucky that I could go straight to see my rheumatologist and he put me straight on 15 milligrams of methotrexate, gave me a lovely little steroid shot in my bum and said that he'd relieve me. (laughs) Not relieve me. That's (laughs) (laughs) that doctor. (laughs) He said that he would... um, review me again in a couple of months so and I got I guess many of you who are listening will have experienced the power of um cortisone shot and wow I really like I'd never experienced anything like that like two days after having that I was like doing cartwheels around around the living room after having like (laughs) barely been able to move so that was that was really nice um so yeah after the cortisone shot had worn off though i wasn't seeing any major improvements in how I was living like the the 15 milligrams of methotrexate wasn't really doing it for me so we went back and he increased that to 20 um, and I started a course of prednisolone which honestly I think we should do a whole episode on prednisolone because oh girl yes that stuff I feel like I feel like doctors really it's it's an amazing drug and it it does take your pain away but like the side of what it does to you the way it changes how you look and the way it changes how you feel is crazy and yeah I think I think we could probably break that down a little bit in the future um but yeah absolutely so that that did kind of no so I was on that and then interestingly I had a holiday booked with or a vacation booked with some friends um and coming back from that holiday triggered the worst flare of my life like I remember being like baggage collection barely feeling like I could like stand up anymore and I was in a car on the way home and I I really I really remember like it felt like my body was shutting down. Like I, it's, it sounds dramatic to say that it felt like I was dying, but it was just, it was like a tiredness that I'd never experienced before. Like I was literally like, what is happening to me? Am I dying? Like just, it, just immense fatigue coming, like just coming all over my body. It was, it was really mad. And then we got home and I spent a sleepless night just feeling like my body was being 
torn apart and that that sounds like I'm being dramatic and it sounds like an exaggeration but it's not that is the only way I can describe is like those old you know those old like Victorian torture machines that you see in museums yes. where they're like they literally did have their like limbs hinged off like yeah yeah like that I feel like that was what was happening to me that night um it, yeah it was awful I remember I I rolled out of literally rolled out of bed and like army crawled along the floor and was like lying looking up at my door handle like literally thinking to myself like you have to lift your arm up to open that door handles so that you can go and get painkillers and just feeling like I had no idea how I was going to be able to do that like it you know it was it was so dark and at 24 years old going through something like that and honestly not knowing if I was going to feel better again ever because it's it'd been months at this point of dealing with this pain and um yeah that is that is like the, the single lowest point of my life like the memory of that night you know people talk about like a dark night of the soul that is yeah. that is my dark night of the soul like I am forever changed by living through that night I don't know oh ever do I sound too dramatic I don't know but that no, is, is no you just, don't <laughs> that is, this is like a wound mm -hmm. and yeah yeah this is the wound and the wounded healers yeah, yeah. yeah no Absolutely. for sure this is my wound this is my wound so yeah after that after that night I was in hospital again um and they did more blood tests and my um my c-reactive protein protein was 174 and a normal person is less wow. than 10 like that is like in just as a as a literal like statistical demonstration of the pain I was in that that is it like it's just crazy um so yeah after that I feel like that was like a bit of a turning point really and from there I don't know if I just had more if I just like blacked out some of my life or whether things really did like immediately start feeling better for me but um yeah the drugs like started to work and I started to feel physically better but I think it's important to kind of point out here that emotionally and spiritually I I wasn't coping in healthy ways at all mm. so I was either sorry <clears throat> I was either at work pretending that everything was fine not telling any of my like colleagues or clients or anyone that I was going through anything like very few people at work understood or knew what I was dealing with like I am a magic compartmentalizer like fuck knows how I do it but I I literally missed two days of work that entire time like I I to be honest I need I need like help <laughs> like no one no one should be that good at compartmentalizing or just pushing through but yeah I so I was either at work pretending everything was fine and that being like my safe space where I could feel like a normal could feel like myself and be normal or I was just in bed or the bath literally crying or just not wanting to move like I was I was like 100% or 110% at work faking it or I was in bed just destroyed and miserable um or there was a nice third option where I was out drinking too much 
and drinking to the point where I was blacking out and making a lot of choices that I would not make now and I think are a reflection of my emotional state at that time which I think it would again it would be great for us to do an episode on in the future because I know you kind of experienced that as well so um yeah that was that was kind of how I was coping and yeah again that's quite formative into the person that this illness has made me become but yeah over the next six or so months I obviously I saw some fluctuations in my RA but I would say I had more good days than I did bad days and I had a few tweaks to my treatment and stuff but my overall trajectory was up from here so I started to regain my strength and started gently working out and stuff and feeling a bit more alive through that way and I started meditating here and started experimenting with kind of more healthy habits and that kind of led me to rheumatoid girls as we mentioned at the beginning and I also I think it's worth mentioning that I fell in love around this time and that really helped me start like start feeling like myself again and bringing bringing me back into to where I am now so I guess that's where I'll stop my diagnosis story because that's that's kind of the process of being diagnosed and yeah. Wow, I I love how open you are and like I feel like sometimes when I hear diagnosis stories because it's easy to like detach yourself from what you've gone through. Sometimes it just sounds like here I was, I got diagnosed, it was hard, and now I'm great. And like, I feel like we miss out on like those very real, real parts of like what you were saying, like you could not like even fathom lifting your arm to reach that door handle. Like I wanted to jump through time and hug past Amy because I feel like that is so deeply relatable and like different, of course, but like from my story, but like deeply relatable in the sense of just feeling kind of vulnerable and really helpless at a time when you've worked really hard to be independent and on your own. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just like, oh, so much love, so much love to you. Well, I guess um, I'll take you on the journey of my diagnosis story now. Please Um, do. After all of that sharing, it would mean a a lot to me. (laughs) (laughs) to hear someone else as well yes oh my gosh well I was diagnosed in 2016 um and that was my junior year of college um I was 21 when I was diagnosed and where it kind of differs for me is that like growing up I always had these very strange one-off random medical things happening like just really weird and so I remember my first weird thing was I would get, my neck would get swollen like near, um, like right under your jawline, um, near the lymph nodes. It would just get so swollen when I would eat anything sour or like any particular food. And it would literally just look like you would just see this bulge on my neck. And my mom was a little concerned about that. So we went to the doctor and the doctor was like, hmm. I'm not sure, like I can't, like something is going on, but I'm not sure like what exactly. And so weirdly, we went like six months or so later to my dentist and he was like, oh, you have a salivary gland stone. 
And what the heck is that? What the hell is a salivary <laughs> gland stone? But it is like you would think it's like a kidney stone, but like it's in your salivary gland. So right under your tongue where your saliva comes out of. So mine was being blocked. So the saliva like couldn't come out. And that's why I was like really getting bulgy on the side of my neck um, when I'd eat sour foods. So that was just weird. So I had a surgery to remove that. It was like no explanation further, like why that occurred. Um, And then I had this random experience of just always having my tonsils get so gigantic whenever I was sick. Like it just from any time that I can remember of having a cold, like my tonsils would be just so flared up, so inflamed and it would just hurt. So interesting that you've said that because I did have tonsillitis a lot as a kid. Really? I don't know. I don't know if we've just figured out a... <laughs> oh, maybe. I, I, yeah. I think uh, tonsillitis is what causes RA guys now. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, how interesting I did. That was the one thing. If I had if I had any kind of illness when I was younger, it was always in my throat and my tonsils. It's So the interesting thing about that, like, now I'll go more in depth with where I'm at and like what I've been doing to like learn more about this stuff. But I recently learned that the beginning of our immune system is actually like in our tonsils. So it it is the place where when you ingest and start, you know, emaciating your food, your tonsils are actually absorbing a bit of what you're eating and it's warning your immune system what's coming down the pipeline. So that's where it's like one of the top places it starts, which is just wild. Oh. Yeah, it's wild. So yeah, I think we're, I think that might be a commonality and like, let us know you guys uh, on Instagram, please. Yeah. So I had this, like these crazy big tonsils and I remember just one night I like was having a hard time breathing. It was like kind of terrifying. And my mom was like, that's it. We're bringing you in. So we went to the doctor's office and um, not even urgent care, like straight up to my pediatrician, which is like your childhood doctor in the US. Is it called a pediatrician in the UK as well? I guess I like probably like the technical term. Uh-huh. Like if you're if you're a doctor, you would say I work in pedi- pediatrics, but like com- normal civilian people don't say that. Gotcha. Would just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we went to like see my pediatrician and he was like, wow, like, these are, these are huge. And like, that looks painful. So I was really young to be honest. I was probably like, maybe like 11 or 12 when this was happening. So I don't remember to the full extent what was going on. Cause I probably wasn't fully aware, but all I remember is the next thing I was brought into this like bottom floor of the uh, building, which was for outpatient surgeries. And I was seen by this guy and um, a doctor, this random guy, a doctor saw me and he looked at my tonsils and he's like, hmm, let's try draining these. So I remember just being like, what the heck, draining your tonsils? Like I had no idea. I had no idea what that was going to be. So I remember just sitting in the chair. I think my mom was well aware of what was going to happen. I just like was not. So I was holding her hand. The doctor sprayed some like numbing spray and then he cut into my tonsils just a little bit and he had a needle and he extracted fluid from my tonsils 
And it was the most crazy experience like I had as a kid, like just having that done and not really fully being like, oh, this is happening until it was like it was happening. (laughs) Um, So those are the things when I was younger that like I had that now in hindsight, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really feel like all of these are related. Um, but to sum up the tonsils, I did end up having mine removed. Um, they kept posing like a lot of difficulties for me. So I did get them removed. Um, but on hot hot girls have no tonsils. Hey, Oh, I want a shirt that says that hot girls have no tonsils. (laughs) My junior year of college was a time where I was completely just setting the scene for you out of touch with who I was. I had no idea. I moved to Washington state for college and I'm from California originally. And it was such a drastic difference, even though it's only two States away, it's like way colder. It just has a different culture, a different vibe. And like, I was not ready for what I got myself into. So I was there. I didn't know anybody at college. Um, like, no one. And so to me, that was exciting at first because I get to like reinvent myself harder than I thought. It was really difficult for me to like find my way there to find my path. And I ended up my junior year kind of getting into a friend group more of, um, or less like, I don't know if I'd call it really a friend group anymore, but a group of people who would just go out and party, like dance, drink, smoke cigarettes, and um, and weed. And <laughs> I definitely participated and I was going out and I was really numbing. Like now that I understand like certain coping methods, that was a coping method for just feeling like I didn't fit in, just trying to do what I could to fit in. And along that time, I had just gotten out of a relationship. Um, my first like college relationship, which was like two and a half years uh, long. So it was another just a weird layer to what I was going through. At that time, I was living in this tiny little cabin that was built in the 1920s. And it was on the Puget Sound, like right off of the shore of the Puget Sound. And it was really cold there. Like I just remember like the insulation was like from the 1920s, you guys. I don't know what that was like, except for my experience. It was awful. It was freezing all the time. But I just remember my knees and like my feet hurting a lot. I kept trying to like justify these things. And I was like, oh yeah, no biggie. Like it's just cold. Like, you know, I was dancing at the club the other night. So maybe I like hurt my feet that way. And it started to get to the point where I was just like, Ooh, like I am lying to myself. Something's a little off, but it kind of like went away and like that pain. And so I didn't think of it um, until what really brought it up was going to Costa Rica. And while I was there, I was doing like a lot of solo traveling at the time. And I made this really reckless, unauthentic move to go on this Tinder date in the middle of Costa Rica, which I would not recommend. Stay safe out there. But I remember the next day, once I got back to my home, we had been drinking the entire night. I went back alone, but waking up was the worst. I just remember being unable to move my right arm 
like it hurt so bad. Like my shoulders, like what you were saying earlier, Amy, about like lifting your shoulders. I like could not even lift that shoulder. It just was extremely painful. And so my first thought was like, oh my God, was I bit by a poisonous spider here? Because that was my biggest fear. (laughs) Um, And so I like started kind of like inspecting my arm to see if I see any bug bites, but I didn't. And it just was really strange. And so I tried to kind of like shrug it off, even though like something was really wrong. Um, And I went hiking that day to these waterfalls and called the Nayaka Falls in Costa Rica. And I did this whole hike and I got into the water and I could barely even like keep afloat because of like my arms. I'll usually like move them when I'm doggy paddling, but I could barely move this arm. And um, when I got back from that hike, I was like, okay, call your mom, like call your mom. (laughs) And so I called my mom and I was like, mom, I'm having a lot of pain in my right arm. I can barely like lift it up, but I was also like trying not to tell her too much because I really didn't want to worry her. Um, And I didn't want to like come home right away. Um, So she just said, you know what, look, we're going to make a doctor's appointment for you. So when you come back, um, we're going to just like go right to the doctor basically. So we did that. And a few weeks later, I was back in California sitting in my doctor's office and, um, I felt really blessed because similarly, he looked at me and said, like, hmm, I actually remember exactly what he said. He was like, wow, like you're pretty swollen, like in your arm. And um, this seems like it could be autoimmune or autoimmune related, which I didn't know what that meant. Um, But he just said, you know, if it is an autoimmune disease, they often like rear their heads in your 20s. Um, that's like a common thing. And so he's like, we're going to do some lab work. So I did the lab work and I remember exactly where I was as well when I got the call for, um, what my lab work was. (laughs) And, uh, I was at my parents' house. I was sitting on the couch with my friend Simone and we were just like talking about college. She was, you know, going to college in Southern California. I was about to fly back out to Washington and um, we're just sitting there and it just was just so weird. I get this call and it's like, you know, like, hi, this is the lab. Like we got like these really elevated results for your CRP. We have positive rheumatoid factor for you. So your doctor is going to be setting up an appointment for you to see a rheumatologist like as soon as possible. And um, I also did not really... I don't know. I just didn't get the the gravity. Like in a way I knew it was serious, but I just didn't get the gravity yet. So I hung up and I just turned to my friend and I also joked, which now I'm like, oh my God. But I was like, hey, apparently I have this thing called rheumatoid arthritis. Like, oh man, like not only am I an old soul, but I guess I'm an old body, you know, like it just like, oh man. <laughs> now looking back, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh dear. But um, Yeah. So I just was like, ah, no big deal. Um, So we went to the doctors like a couple days later, which I was very, very lucky that my doctor Mm -hmm. advocated for me to see like a rheumatologist as soon as possible. Like, I don't know how he made that happen, but he made that happen. And um, I remember sitting in the appointment and 
my mom was like way more aware of what was going on than I was. Like she just understood the gravity of it and I just like couldn't comprehend that. So um, uh, the rheumatologist, she was amazing. Um, she was just like, hey, like your blood work came back. Everything is positive. That could possibly be positive for rheumatoid arthritis. Um, like this is what we'd call, she said, a slam dunk. Like it's just clear to me as day, like what you have. So it was weird because I remember seeing my mom crying in that appointment and I didn't fully understand how this was going to change me. Um, until my rheumatologist said, Hey, we are going to put you on medication right away. We want to be like very, you know, proactive and we want to make sure that we like get this under control. So we're going to put you on methotrexate because I remember saying like, this is a low dose, uh, chemotherapy agent. And that's when it got real for me. Cause I was like, what? Like, like I need to be on this. Like mm-hmm. I-, I need that. And yeah. I was put on that. Um, and then a variety of other things as we go along. But the aftermath was at that point, my body, it was just my shoulder and like my right arm. And that's still something like that's still a lot. I'm not just saying that like willy nilly. But um, when I went back to college is when things really fell apart for me. So it was my senior year. And so, yeah, so going back into college, like re-entering that, I had like a weight on my shoulders like just knowing that the lifestyle I had the previous year my junior year I couldn't resume that like I wasn't able to drink and just go out and smoke cigarettes anymore or you know just be reckless I just think it's amazing that at that age you actually took the gravity of that and stopped smoking and drinking because I did not and it's I'm just amazed how I have now but at the time I didn't and I'm always very impressed how people yeah how I'm just I'm just very impressed that you were able to take that seriously and just stop those habits immediately and I I wish I'd done the same but yeah dang thank you so much yeah it was and I I did have like my moments like I wasn't perfect but I for the most part like went cold turkey on the lifestyle I had my junior year And it was just weird though, because coming back after having such a life changing experience of like learning that you have something that's not curable and that you're going to have to manage the rest of your life, coming back to that group of people I hung out with, I, I don't know. I, I also compartmentalized. I didn't know how to tell them. I did not know how to tell people in my life what I was going through what I had and partially because I didn't fully understand what I had. I I didn't quite get it. So like I knew it's rheumatoid arthritis, but I was like, where did it come from? Why did it, why do I have it here? You know? Um, So I just didn't know how to like breach the subject. And so I kind of suppressed that for a long time and I just stopped. I like stopped going out um, and that friend group, wasn't necessarily like the most supportive um, in the ways that I needed at that time. So they weren't worried that I stopped going out. They just kind of kept doing their thing. Um, But yeah, I just remember just thinking through everything like, wow, like 
I'm going to go to a party tonight and I'm not going to drink. And so what does that look like socially in college? Like, so I would get like sparkling water, put some cranberry juice in it to make it look like a mixed drink. And that's what I had with like a lime in it. And I didn't tell anyone really, (laughs) but that's what I had. And it was just a total adjustment. But I met my husband at this party, a Halloween party, um, my senior year. And it was really magical. But it was also a time when I like felt like I was so unlovable because I felt really, really broken and broken down in so many ways. Like my joints, like it had spread like to my knees and to my feet. And like that came back like I had felt my junior year, but way worse. And mentally, I just was like, who is like, I feel really bad saying this because I don't want anyone to think this of themselves, but it's true that I did think this of myself. I would tell myself, who is going to love you like this? Like, who's going to stick around with you? Like, who wants to see you kind of crumble apart, you know? And now I'm in a place where that, like, that's not true. Like, I know that's not true. But at that time, like, I thought it was true. Mm -hmm. So I remember meeting Zach, who is my husband, at this Halloween party. I wasn't drinking. I was just, like, socializing. And he pretty much, like... So he asked me out <laughs> to sushi um, and I had to clarify him like, like a date. He's like, yeah, like a date. So uh, from there, it just kind of rolled and it was like inseparable. But why that's such a important part to my story is because like I had just been diagnosed that past summer. And so I had been single up until then, like still kind of, you know, dating around here and there, like, but I, up with guys and uh, yeah yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> guilty <laughs> but um yeah but I really just like it was wild so he came into my life and I remember like our third uh like maybe our third date I was like oh I have to start doing these self-injections because I was supposed to start embryo and so I just remember being so scared to like do this injection and he, I just remember him being like, I'll sit with you. Like I'll sit with you while you do your injection. And I just wanted to cry. I think I did. Cause I was like, wait, you're willing to like, see me like grab the fat of my leg and like, you know, swab it and inject myself. And like that to me, like, wasn't sexy at the time you know and I was like you're okay with this and he was like yeah so he helped me a lot like he did the countdown for me we played music like you know it was just it was very supportive it was like exactly what I needed right then and right there and eventually that year we ended up moving in together which might be like a little soon for some people but it worked wonderfully for us um but we moved into this little townhouse and that is when things got really, really bad for me, like with RA. Um, like I always pictured this as like a really happy moment. You're moving in with a boyfriend and like that's a huge move. I had never done that before. Um, so we're in this beautiful little townhouse and I just started to just not feel like myself at all. Like I was on prednisone, which we do need to do another podcast episode on. <laughs> But I felt so far from myself. I didn't recognize myself at all. My face 
I got such a moon face from it. And I just can't even express to you, like, I would just stay in bed. Like, I would call out from work at the time, actually quite a lot. So, but I, I didn't, I wasn't honest about why. I was like, I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling good. Um, but I just remember like feeling like I couldn't even like get up to go to the bathroom. Like getting up to go to the bathroom was so painful because my knees were like so swollen. And just even like the act of like bending down to use the bathroom, like the knees were like, oh. This this is also making me think. Um, I, there's just something so... <laughs> I don't know why we're talking. <laughs> Something resonates so much talking about using the bathroom, but um, I have really vivid memories of like it literally hurt my hands to like break off the toilet paper, or yes. it hurt my hands to like push the flush of the toilet, and it's mm-hmm. like this is literally rock <laughs> rock bottom. Like yeah, I really yeah. I re- really relate to that. It really it really was a rock bottom, absolutely, and like. It was crazy because I would just like be laying in bed and like something that like before I had RA like so aggressively, like something like just getting up and going to the bathroom, I wouldn't think about. I was like, yeah, just get up and use the bathroom. But I would like literally sit there until I was like, all right, I have two options. I'm going to pee myself or I'm going to go to the bathroom. And I was like, guess I got to make it down to the bathroom. So it just was wild, like how it shaped everything for me. And my fingers started to get like really swollen and really difficult to close. And what I did is something I would not recommend anyone to do if they are in the beginning stages of RA, but I alienated myself so much. I cut out friends that actually were there for me, that actually wanted to be there. I cut out family members. I went completely inward. And even more so, I cut out Zach my boyfriend at the time, now husband, like I literally just stopped telling him how I was feeling. And I just felt like no one, no one could relate to what I was going through. And I felt like it was me against the world. And I created this wound for myself because the more I alienated myself and the more I went inward like that, I developed like severe, severe depression. So along with the pain the physical pain of like everyday physical pain I also just had this looming just feeling of just numbness in my mind just like nothing could bring me joy at those times and everything was hard and life was just going to be harder that's how it felt at the time um so yeah it took me a lot to like pull myself out of that And one of the things that helped me also was realizing other things I could be doing to help myself. Because at that time, I was eating like a standard American diet, which like I love the nickname for it's SAD, S-A-D. And um, it was really sad. Like I was not eating in a way that was showing my body love and compassion. Um, And I know that directly now now that I've had time to think about it, that the foods I was feeding myself were really detrimental to my health and my recovery and my healing process. So once I learned that my health is actually a lot of my responsibility, not the fact that I have RA, I would never say that it's not your fault in any way, but 
I needed to take ownership and agency over my health. And so what helped me kind of navigate through the depression was just watching videos on people doing meal preps, doing like light workouts. And that inspired me to start a YouTube channel, which is really funny because it only has like three videos and I like am not myself in them. I was like trying so hard. I was like, all right, here we go. Like tell people your story. But one video I made was actually genuinely where I was at the time. I just was pretty much trying to find anybody else my age going through the same thing. And so I just talked about my diagnosis story, not in depth like this, very short, but I just cried so much. And I remember being like, oh my God, I'm so scared to post this on YouTube because I really don't want people to think I'm being dramatic. But I posted it and I just remember getting notification after notification after a couple months. There was just thousands of people who just were like, me too, me too. And they were like all in their 20s from all around the world. And it just felt like, oh my God, like I'm not alone. And that inspired me to start my um, Instagram page at the time, which was Jay Takes Honore and has evolved to the spiritual nutritionist. And that's been a journey. It is not as nicely laid out as I'd like it to be. We're getting there, but it just has been a place for me to share like what I've learned and where I'm going and what I'm currently learning. Um, and to tie this all up, my diagnosis story, it led me into loving food even more than I already did, but in a way that was like healthy for me. And that led me into becoming a nutritionist. So I am certified in holistic nutrition and um, I'll put a bow on my story there. It's not over folks. We got a lot more stories coming, but for now, that's my diagnosis story. So thanks for listening. Uh, it's, it was so beautiful to hear you talk about you and Zach and meeting and I think that's gonna resonate with so many people out there it's it's really interesting about you saying like I don't want to say this because I don't want anyone else to think this about themselves but every single one of us has thought who's gonna love me like this and not and not even necessarily people with chronic illness I think lots of people have things about themselves where they're like who's gonna love me like this but um, love does prevail and people want to help you and I think yeah I can't wait to hear more about you and Zach and the relationship oh. that you have because I think that's very inspiring I love that thank you so much and like yeah that's something that you and I have talked about in a way is like letting the light in like mm. letting love into your life and that is a vulnerable experience and we'll go more in depth with that soon Thank you all so much for being here, for being a part of our first episode. We look forward to sharing more of our journeys with you and hearing more about yours. So make sure to get in touch with us on Instagram. Yeah, so make sure you follow us on Instagram at Wounded Healers Podcast. You can find me specifically at Rheumatoid Girls and you can find Janessa at The Spiritual Nutritionist. Uh, yeah, we really want to hear from you and if, particularly if you have any ideas around what you want to hear us talk about. So make sure you get in contact. And with that said, we are going to be posting podcasts every two weeks. So we look forward to having you here in two weeks. Until then, 
Remember to let the light in. Bye. Bye.